Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. So before we get started with this week's episode, we wanted to remind you of our Patreon community. Patreon is a platform where we hang out most of the time, mm-hmm. um, and it's where we share extra stuff, just whether it's recipes from me, writings from Rebecca Pete, um, direct communication with you guys. That is where we have extra content, like um, additional episodes on hot topics that we can be a little bit more off the cuff and spicy about because it's not on our normal <laughs> episode. It's not on iTunes. It's not on Spotify. iTunes. Yes. So, um, Anyway, you can pledge much like you would PBS or any other pledge system um, yes. to support us monthly, and you will get extra stuff and our eternal love and support. And you also have the opportunity to have a say in what we talk about yes. on the podcast because yes. you get to communicate with us as well as us communicating with you. And we will tackle issues. I mean, you've basically got a chef and a theologian in the palms of your hands. <laughs> and if you don't know how to find us on Patreon— it's www.patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash woven in him. And we'll have that linked in the show notes. For so sure. Check it out. And here's today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to episode 69. And today we are starting a new series we're so excited about on marriage. We're going to be talking about Today, Rebecca and I are going to spend a little time just going back and forth about, you know, our own marriages, kind of, um, Chris Cochran, you should be scared. I'm just kidding. Um, what's, (laughs) (laughs) what's, um, just like some challenges we've had, our background, things like that, introducing the series. Um, but we want to just start with a disclaimer that we see marriage as one of a few options of things you could do. Um, we don't see marriage as the cultural idol that it has become, Um, and we value singleness highly. If you did not catch our episode on singleness that we did back in the spring, we will link that in the show notes. Um, but because Rebecca and I are both married women, this conversation or the next four episodes will focus on marriage, but we just wanted to kind of have a disclaimer. We know all of our listeners are not married and we hope you'll still listen because I mean, all of this can be helpful in relation, any relationship really. Um, but yeah, we just, and our pastor actually just did a really good sermon on this um kind of calling out our idolization of marriage in our culture and we will also link that in the show notes because i think that is something really good to listen to but all that aside we are talking about marriage um we'll start today kind of going over a resource we've both used a lot which is tim keller's the meaning of marriage which um a lot of our kind of theology is based on or at least mine is and um yeah do you want to introduce our like what we're going to be talking about over the course of it Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that this is kind of like an introduction and kind of just like our like experiential knowledge of marriage since we're both married, but we're also, I'm going to bring, bring people on who are much smarter at this stuff than we are (laughs) that to do the actual teaching. So we're going to talk about, um, one of the subjects we're going to talk about is fidelity in marriage and not just fidelity, like in a sexual um, connotation, but fidelity in everything in marriage, um, kind of how, um, it can be easy to get, 
um, caught in the trap of um, hiding um, in marriage, whether it's financially or emotionally or sexually or however we are hiding, like that all gets wrapped up into fidelity. It's not just about um, having an affair. And so um, we're going to talk about that with um, a marriage and family counselor, one that we've had on before, Sarah Collier, um, and she kind of has you know her expertise and is in counseling um, marriage and family. So that should be awesome. And then we're going to have um, one of our pastors on to talk about just mutual submission in marriage, which I think is a topic in the church that is very misunderstood. So we wanted to make sure we um, hit that topic. And, you know, in Tim Keller's book, Meaning of Marriage, he talks about mutual submission a lot. So we'll probably not really delve into that as much today, just because we're going to be talking about that with Ashley. And then um, we're also going to do the Enneagram in marriage, mostly because I wish I would have had the Enneagram when I got married. <laughs> um, I feel like I've learned a lot about my spouse um, because um, of the Enneagram. And um, if you're newly married, um, I say, you know, or about to be married or thinking about getting engaged or whatever, um, just like understanding not just what your number is, but what your partner's number is, I think is a really big deal. And your friends and everybody else. I mean, it's not just marriage, but just relationships in general. But we're um, having Beth McCord on, who's the Enneagram coach. And she has a book with her husband coming out on the Enneagram and marriage. So I'm super excited to talk to her about that. I am too. She's a celebrity around these parts. Rebecca and I don't really care about famous like people that much, really. Yeah. But like, we both really love her, so we're pretty excited. We're pretty excited. She's going to be on. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. So, why don't you start, Rebecca, with just kind of, I guess, your marriage? <laughs> you don't have to go into deep detail, but just kind of your story. Yeah. So, um, uh, Chris and I are coming up on seven years in September. So, when this comes out, is next week September? Yes, it is. Yeah. Because Labor Day is Monday. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, so we're coming up on seven years. And where I feel like we are now is sort of like the novelty and newness of marriage has worn off. And now we are kind of in a new stage of like the long-term planning. So mm-hmm. I feel like we're in a place, which is funny. I didn't really think of it this way until we were preparing for this. But um both of us, you know, we all come into marriage with our own baggage, right? And there's some things that you can just kind of like, I'll deal with that later. Yeah. And like now we're kind of getting into later. So we personally are dealing with some financial stuff, which is just, you know, trying to get out of debt, like that sort of thing um, is a big thing in our marriage right now. And just trying to, you know, be responsible adults planning for the future and like also hold on to like the fun and the joy of being married. Um, so I feel like we're kind of embarking on a new season in our marriage where it's, you know, we, I don't know. I feel, so my background with marriage though, is that when Chris and I got married, I came into marriage with so much baggage. I, um, neither of us were really raised with great examples of marriages, um, which I won't elaborate on, but basically we had some pretty bad examples. And so, but the cool thing about it is with with God's grace, it actually has become our like superpower because I feel like both of us have seen so much of what can go wrong. And we've both yeah. seen like, you know, we're, we're just, I wouldn't say we're like hypervigilant in a paranoid way, but we're both very quick to like notice when small things are off and address them in a way that I don't necessarily think we would do if we had not seen like the worst case scenarios, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm grateful for that in a way. Like, I mean, it obviously brought a lot of baggage. I, I entered marriage with so much fear. I mean, just so much fear. I, I mentioned on the podcast, like my mental health struggles. I already have OCD. And um, if you want to go on a roller coaster, get married when you have OCD because, oh my gosh, it was just like, and all of the cultural conditioning of like the one, the one person, yeah. like my mind just went crazy trying to like figure out. And then, you know, because of kind of like my parents' marriage, I was very afraid of marriage because I saw um, just some things that I didn't want to repeat. And I think that I just went into it very negative and afraid, but also really wanting it. Mm -hmm. So it was like a really hard place to be for a long time. I feel like just in the last few years, we've like maybe the last three years, I've kind of gotten to a place where I can breathe a little bit. But um, yeah, it's one of those things like I did feel called to get married. Um, Chris and I, we had only been dating for like a month when I was like, yeah, I love that guy. Like we, we fell pretty hard. And then, um, and then a lot of anxiety picked up. So a lot of my story is just kind of navigating that and still doing the thing I'm afraid of mm-hmm. and trusting God with it, even though everything in me was like, run away. Oh my gosh. Like this is everything you're scared of, but I still chose to pursue it. And I'm so glad that I did because we have a really good marriage and we have so much fun and we love each other. And like, I just think back on how, if I had let fear rule me, it would have been a very different story. So that's kind of our background. We're kind of getting out of that place. I'm sort of like, you know, we're, and we've seen each other change in this period of time. We've been together almost 10 years, married for almost seven. And it's just, you know, we went, we had started dating when we were like 25 and now we're 35 and we have two kids and things are just different. So we're seeing each other age and change and evolve. And so it's, it never is boring, but it's always pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get, so my, my story is, I, oh, so there's some similarities and some differences, but, um, so David and I met when I was 20 and we got married when I was 21. <laughs> now, great. That was one month away from being 22. So technically it was almost two years, but we met, um, yeah, February of, yeah. So that would, I would have been, yeah, I would have just turned 20 and then we got married when I was 21. So, which is crazy to think about. Like I, somebody uh, the other day asked me if, um, uh, Myla, my uh, nine-year-old daughter came to me and said she was getting married at 21. What would I think about that? Right. And I have very mixed views on that because like, I feel like it was the right thing for David and I, um, mm-hmm. But I don't think it's the right thing for most people. (laughs) So, you know, you know what I'm saying? I did not marry the person I wanted to marry when I was 21. Yeah. So (laughs) it's very interesting because uh, neither of us dated a lot of people and met when we were 20 and and David was 21 and got married when I was 21 and he was 22. And um, it's just interesting because that had never crossed my mind that that was what I was going to do. But that's what happened. And um, so, so I kind of have a different story in that we're, you know, we'll have been married. We are married 18 years. We were just had our 18th and we've been together for 20. So mm-hmm. it's just interesting. Like I've been, I mean, I'm having my 40th birthday um, next month. And so that means I've been with David half my life, which yeah. is just, you know, just really interesting. So, and just, you know, there's pluses and minuses to getting married early. I mean, obviously, I don't know experientially what it's like to get married later in life, but um, there's pluses and then there's the minuses. But 
we've definitely grown and matured. Um, obviously, we're not 21. <laughs> so um, it, it's just interesting to like think back. And then I come from a background, a, a very bro- broken background marriage-wise. Both my parents have been married multiple times and loved them dearly. And they were wonderful parents. They just, yeah. you know, had been um, married a lot. So um, I would I would say we just come from an a, I come from a very interesting family dynamic, blended families multiple times over, and so so that's kind of my background. Then David comes from a background of a very healthy, steady marriage. Um, his parents, I mean, his dad, his dad died when in his early sixties, so he was young, but he um, they were married for thirty five years and had you know they weren't perfect, of course, nobody's marriage is perfect, but they definitely had a healthy marriage, and David had a good example. So it's interesting to come in like you guys came in with very similar kind of backgrounds yeah, and we're yeah. coming in with very different backgrounds. So we've had to kind of like learn to meld that stuff together. So I've had to learn to not be so cynical um, about marriage. And David has had to learn to like, not be so sentimental about marriage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he has to see that, yeah, that, 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 that marriage isn't perfect. And then I have had to look at it as like, if you do the work, it can be good because that's yeah. not the example that I had seen. So, um, but thankful for good counseling and good premarital counseling. We had very good premarital counseling before we got married. And, um, I, I feel like we did a lot of work, even though we were young, we were both old souls. Like, you know, my yeah. mom used to always joke, you know, that I was like six going on 60, like, you yeah. know, and David was very much like that too. And so, but that doesn't mean we haven't grown and matured. And I think one of the big things for me, so I didn't become a Christian until I was 18, but I kind of was a little bit in the youth culture world because I started going to youth group in high school with friends. Um, and then, but I didn't become a Christian until I was 18. And then I went, I went gung ho in college, was in all the Christian groups, super involved in my church, you know, all in all the college single groups, all that kind of stuff. And what was really um, pushed on us at that time, and I think this is common for a lot of people who grew up in the church, um, is that, you know, you've got to find that one person that God's made for you. You got to mm-hmm. find you and you've got to reserve yourself for that one person. Mm-hmm. And so in the back of your mind, you're thinking, there's only one person out there. There's only one. And God only has one for me. And he, and I have to find it. And it's my job to find that person. And I've got to figure out what that person looks like. And so there's just a lot of pressure that I think was put on. I would say the root of pretty much all of my anxiety was like, I love him. But what if, what if he's not like the quote, the one, and then I've made a mistake, you know, like that was like, that was so damaging to me, that whole narrative. Oh my gosh. Yes. Anyways, and, well, and I don't think that's just a church narrative. I think that the church yeah. twists that narrative to make it, um, to make it about God and about how God has this one perfect person. I'm not saying that God's not sovereign and he doesn't know your story. and He doesn't know who you're going to marry. Of course he does. But like, it's not on us to be like, I've got to find that perfect person. And then culturally, like the world, I mean, watch any freaking romantic comedy, which I love. I love them all. So I mean, but I have to know that it's a false narrative that, yeah. that there's that one perfect person there you have a soulmate and that mm-hmm. soulmate is out there and you've got to find that soulmate and once and you find McConaughey 
Yeah. And Matthew McConaughey is not my soulmate, but he is somebody's soulmate. But like, there's like one person out there that's your soulmate. And if you find that soulmate, you will live happily ever after. I mean, it's like every Disney movie. Like, there's just this narrative that like life is going to be happily ever after if you find the right person. So the problem, how that plays itself out, which I can see that in my first few years of marriage. And luckily we did the work and we pushed through. And now we're like definitely in the middle years of our marriage. And there's like beauty in that. It's still hard but it's easier than it was, I think is that the beauty in that, that, that comes out of that if you lean into it. But the problem that comes with that is, well, if, if he was the perfect person for me mm-hmm. and he really was my soulmate, it wouldn't be so hard. Yeah. And, and I think that, and obviously, but side note to all of this, if you were in an abusive relationship If you're being physically or emotionally or whatever abused, or if, or if your spouse is, um, you know, breaking the law or, you know, sleeping around or whatever you want to say, like, obviously there's caveats here, but if you're just like in the hard part of marriage, you know, where it's just like rub it up against each other and you're selfish and it's just hard because it is marriage is hard. It's always hard. Like if you're, if you have the mentality in the back of your brain that there's that one perfect person out there, then why do the hard work? Cause obviously Mm -hmm. if it was, if this was my soulmate, it wouldn't be hard. Um, and I think that's a lie. And I think it's a lie that destroys a lot of marriages. And, um, I've had to learn that, um, it's, it's just hard and I need to be okay with it being hard. And it doesn't mean I don't struggle sometimes being like, well, maybe if I wouldn't have gotten married so young, then maybe it wouldn't be so hard, you know, or whatever. But I think it's always hard, no matter who it is, it's hard. So. Yeah. yeah. There's always definitely going to be work for sure. I mean, like you can't put two people. And I mean, I have to remind myself all the time when I'm frustrated, I think about it. I'm like, is there anybody in this entire world I want to be with 24 seven? No, of course it's frustrating, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's like, I mean, I don't even want to be around myself all the time. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I love yeah. my kids dearly, but I don't want to be around them all the time. <laughs> but yeah. like, yeah, I think that's such a, it's so true that our cultural narrative just says, you know, well, you must not have found the right person yet. And there are TV shows built on this. There are like, you know, I mean, gosh, like the amount of media we consume that, feeds that narrative Mm -hmm. so it's like we have to really intentionally push back against that because I think the thing about those false narratives is as long as they're running and you're not really like aware of them yeah then they're running you and so for me a lot of the work in the first couple years of my marriage was being like I really believe that and really sitting down and being like that sounds really stupid but I totally believe it and I'm acting out of that false truth and I have to really reckon I mean I had to reckon with those things and have like the Holy Spirit's help to really dismantle them in my brain and look yeah. at marriage in the reality of marriage and not yeah. this like, it's, you know, I'm a four on the Enneagram. So I tend to have a very like romanticized. So it's particularly for me, I romanticize everything. Yeah. And I'm very like involved in my feelings. And like, whenever I have like difficult feelings toward Chris, I would just have a panic attack and be like, yeah. well, clearly I've made a mistake and yeah. I have commitment phobe. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> marriage but, is a, a good way to push against the commitment phobia. <laughs> I know, right. But like, I, it's really interesting though. Like when, cause I, you know, I think we, I will probably have that for tendency forever. Like that's just yeah. going to be something that I'm going to grapple with, but it's so beautiful to see when I can let that go. Yeah. And just be in it and enjoy it and quit trying to like perfect it or make it more beautiful or like whatever. Yeah. It's so great. 
And there's so many times I have to like smack myself and be like, Rebecca, just stop, like yeah. just chill out and enjoy it. Cause I think a lot of times that's the other thing that we can have a tendency when we've come from marriages that aren't great to try to hold such a tight rein on them and try yeah. so hard. And then like every little thing we freak out about and try to control. So yeah. it's hard to, do you think that's hard? Like finding that balance? Yeah, I do. I do think it's hard. I think it's hard to, um, I mean, it's just all hard. Like my tendency as a three is, is like, um, I want to see like a like perfect result and I want to see success. And so like, if my marriage doesn't look like this X, Y, Z picture, it's not a romantic picture like yours, but more or a romanticized version. Mine's more of a, if we were successful in our marriage, it would look like X. And, um, and so I'm constantly pushing to X because I have, that's my tendency is yeah. success oriented, um, no fail. We're not going to fail. And like, it's not, uh, we're not going to fail because I love you. And uh, when I'm in my bad state, but it's because we're not going to fail because I will be successful. We will be successful. And so that's just like, this is just a motivation issue. Like what is my yeah. motivation for success? It's not bad to be motiva- motivated towards a successful marriage. But it's bad to like want to appear that you have the perfect marriage, right? Because threes are all about appearances. And so I've learned a lot by learning to how to be more open with other people about struggles in my marriage. Um, You know, obviously in in safe spaces. I mean, I don't just like walk down the street telling everybody my issues in my marriage. And I'm not going to tell them all on this podcast. But I have like safe relationships that I can talk about. It's okay to go to counseling. Like for a long time, I felt like that was, you know, a mark of failure, you know, and it's and it's not and um, and needing help is not and needing community um, and making your marriage better is not um, is not a sign of failure, which has been um, one one of the things I've really have really learned. and I, I think that I struggled at the beginning of marriage because I knew that marriage, the point of part of the point of marriage is to like make you a better person and to make you more like Jesus. God set up marriage and set up this husband and wife um, like dynamic to make us like more sanctified and better people. And like, like hopefully we're both moving more toward our marriage is moving us both more towards a who, what we're going to look like in glory. Like that's the purpose of marriage. Right. And so, but I, at first I didn't like that. Like it was sharpened iron, sharpening iron. Like I, you know, I didn't, it feels, it feels, um, feels hard sometimes, especially me who, who, especially when I was younger, my personality is one that, you know, I know everything and I have everything right. And like, it's super defensive when, when I'm, um, get told that I'm doing something wrong or, or that what I'm doing is not helpful or whatever. And so, but once I really started to like, as I matured and like realized that that's the good part of marriage, the good part of marriage is that, his goal and my goal should be as we live this out together, that we're becoming better people and yeah. like him sharpening me, especially since he's an eight, he's very good at sharpening um, eight, that <laughs> the point of that is not to make me feel like a bad person or to show me that show that I'm a failure. The point of that is, is to make me better and him, him better and that we can be better together um, for the glory of God. Um, but you have to like, really like wrap your brain around that because our, elemental instinct is to like bristle up against being, um, being shown the areas where we're weak. So, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's that whole thing of like, you complete me. I want someone to not make me change. It's like, yes, 
you know, we want someone to fit into our bubble. Exactly. But really, we're both helping. We're a team trying to fit in God's bubble. And like, those are two completely different things, completely different motivations. And like, I mean, yeah, I think I would say most modern day Americans probably unconsciously go into marriage with that thought process of like not wanting to change, wanting the person to just sort of like compliment you, you know, and just sort of like be there and compliment you, but not change you necessarily. But yeah, it's like, it has to, if you're not changing in your marriage, then you're probably, I don't know, not that engaged or something. Right. Like I feel like marriage is just such a mirror to me. Like Chris mirrors so much to me that I don't want to see just like our kids do. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and I, but all of these, but both our marriage and our parenting and like what should be our Christian community and other, our relationships with our friends. And like, this goes across the board, not just in marriages, like the purpose of these relationships that I'm learning more as I'm getting older is like, they're supposed to be a mirror and they're, and it's to make me better. It's because my first instinct um, is, Oh, if, if somebody shows up a mirror in front, this is my three, but puts a mirror up in front of my face and shows me me, I'm like, I'm done with you. Right. Like, and so I, I used to be bad about sticking out relationships and what marriage has taught me how to stick out relationships. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for, um, I'm grateful that, um, we made the commitment because I think that if I had not gotten married or didn't get married until later in life, I would not learn, have learned that lesson early. And I think I would have been, um, I mean, I, I destroyed a lot of relationships when I was younger and I think I would have had a lot more years of that <laughs> um, had I not gotten married because um, I had to learn the lesson that it's okay and it's good to like look into the mirror. Um, so yeah, no, I, yeah, I, but this whole narrative of, you know, I, I'm not going to change, but I'm going to change the other person. Yeah. So exactly. like, I mean, every sitcom you watch on TV is like, you know, it's, you know, the, the man who needs all the changing and the woman who's going to help him change. Right. <laughs> and so, but, and that doesn't mean we aren't like constantly both changing and the purpose of marriage is to like sharpen us. But like, if our mentality is, is I don't want anybody to change me because I'm good the way I am, but I'm going to do everything I can to change that person. There's obviously not a healthy outlook on marriage, but I think a lot of people go into marriage like that. Like, well, I'm going to change these things about him. And then when I change those things about him, he's going to look exactly what I need him to look like to be my soulmate, but I don't need to change at all because I'm great the way I am. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's all very self-centered and it's very self-centered and that's the opposite of love, right? The opposite of love is self-seeking. I mean, you know, Paul talks about that when he, when he does the whole, I mean, we all hear it at our weddings, (laughs) you know, first Corinthians 13 love is not self-seeking. Like that's like the first thing Paul says and it's the exact opposite. But I think we think of love, like, I mean, we as like a culture think of love as like this, like romantic passion, but like Uh actually love is, you know, not seeking ourselves, but seeking the interest of the other person, which is hard. Very nice. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more with Ashley, just like what that looks like to like mutually submit to one another so that we can mutually be fulfilled. But it's just a really hard equation (laughs) to figure out. So I have a most important tool in my marriage toolkit at the moment, but I'm curious what yours is. Okay. Ours has been humility and it wasn't something that we like set out and said like, this is going to be sort of like the cornerstone of our marriage, but just like a Chris and I both struggle with humility because we're both, I mean, like you were saying, we're both defensive people. We both really want to do a good job and we're both scared of messing up. So anytime like, 
one of us upsets the other, it's like really difficult for us. Yeah. But we've just made this commitment to one another that we will practice humility together and just really honor what the other person says. And, you know, and we definitely mess this up all the time. Like, don't hear me saying that we're perfect at it, but like, it's just been really beautiful. And it's helped me then to move out in humility because it really, it is a practice and like, I can practice it with him and he's like the safest person to me. And then I can move out and be like, you know, Rebecca, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Or like, you know, what, like Maddie and Penny, I messed up. And it's just, it's been such a beautiful change in both of us. I think that I would say is probably not like there is no secret to marriage, but I would say that is the thing of all the things that has helped us the most. Yeah. What about you? Um, I would say it, it I, I kind of go back and forth. I kind of have two. One of them is keeping short accounts. Um, because one of my big things that I do is I stuff because I don't like to deal with my feelings. Right. And so I stuff things. So something bothers me and I stuff it and then something else bothers me and I stuff it and then something else bothers me and I stuff it. And then I explode. And David's like, why have you, and like, he's the opposite. He keeps very short accounts. Um, and he likes, he wants things to be like, he wants to argue about it and be done, argue about it and be done. And like, that's against my personality. But what happens then is just this resentment builds up and then we get to like the massive blow up and I don't even know why I'm blowing up. And so it has really helped me to go to him and be like, okay, this is bothering me when it is bothering me versus like, you know, where it talks about, Paul talks about don't keep record of wrongs. Like that is like an area that I've really had to grow in. And that has helped our marriage a lot for me to learn how to keep short accounts. And so that was, that would be one of them. And then there was another one, that one. And, um, um, I, I, they all kind of are together, but like just learning yeah. how to like communicate and, um, so communication and keeping short accounts and they kind of go together, but just like learning how to like talk about it. Cause my first instinct is just to run and not talk. And like, if I just run for a minute, it'll all be okay. <laughs> it's yeah. not a non-confrontation cause I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not anti-confrontation per se, but I also just, it's a lot of work for me to deal with things <laughs> emotionally. Uh, yeah. and, and, and it's, and so, but the longer I wait, the even harder it is. And so I've just learned about myself that even though it's hard in the moment to deal with things, I need to deal with it. And then, and then it's better, even though it's still hard for me to deal with it. It's even harder if I wait too long and deal with it. So I would say that those, those are, and also, um, so the other thing I was thinking of, so that, that kind of communication of like what's going on, keeping short accounts. And the other one is, is just not always assuming that he, um, that the, all the bad things, like I'm trying to oh, think yeah. of the word. For the it. I like just assuming the best because, um, my, my thought always goes towards that. Like I have to catch myself in, Oh, he's doing this to punish me or he's doing this cause he's out oh, to yeah. get me. Or he thinks this about me without actually checking to say, what do you, think about me. Like I just make assumptions. I I assume that if he's doing X, then this means he thinks Y about me. And Mm -hmm. then this goes back to the communication, going to him and being like, okay, you did X. What does that mean? Instead of just assuming always that he has it out for me or he doesn't care about me or he thinks the worst about me or whatever. And he constantly um, in our marriage is like, why do you think that that's what I think, you know? But if I would have just said, hey, you did X and it makes me think you think this, 
I just like run down the trail of assumptions, right? So that's the other big thing that I think I've learned. So I think keeping short accounts and then just assuming the best instead of you owning your feelings too. Yes. And like not pushing them on him to deal with, but it's you saying like, and that's a very mature thing to do to say like, it's how I'm feeling instead of just like being passive aggressive and being like, which is my favorite thing to do. Yeah. I'm very, I can be very passive aggressive. And so, yeah. Yeah. And David's not. David's the exact opposite of passive aggressive. Like you never, I never don't know what he feels, (laughs) but I like to assume what his actions mean. You know, does that make sense? I I like to, my, you know, let's take a silly example. Like, oh, he drove away and saw that the trash can, um, the trash people came and didn't pull the trash. He didn't pull the trash up and he left it for me to do. In my head, I'm thinking, so my first instinct goes, he thinks that that's my job and I have to do the lowly tasks. And instead he's like, I'm running late for a meeting and he's not even thinking about it. Like his thought when he saw the trash, now granted, should I say to him, it like kind of bothers me that you don't remember to take the yeah. trash can that you always leave it for me to do. Of course I should say that. But like my first instinct is, oh, he just doesn't care about me, which is not true. So and isn't it interesting how like we project a lot onto our husbands the same in the same ways we project onto God. Yeah. That's like, true. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of like, cause you know, when you're a kid, you kind of, it's like your father. And so yeah. you see God. And then like, I've noticed in our marriage, like a lot of times I'll like assume Chris is thinking something and mm-hmm. it's kind of what I assume God is thinking. Yeah. When like neither of those are true and yeah. it's just me being mean to myself. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, so any, any, any advice that you wish you would have gotten before you got <laughs> married that you now know, but you wish you would have known before you got married? No, because I'm the type of person who has to learn things myself. Mm. And, um, like I learned by experiencing. And I think if anyone had told me the most brilliant advice, I wouldn't have listened. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, David and I got a lot of, oh, we had really good premarital counseling um, by our college pastor. Um, and we did a lot of work before we got married, which was good. I needed to do a lot of work coming from, from what I came from. Like I needed like trust issue kind of stuff. And I, I, that is one thing that's shocking to me that I do not struggle with trusting David at all, mm-hmm. like at all, which is surprising to me coming from my background, but it, that that's just by the grace of God. Like, I think just doing the, it's doing the work. I did work. I did counseling, that kind of stuff. But also like, just like God's grace, he has allowed me to not like struggle with that, which is surprising well, because he's giving you a very trustworthy person. Well, that too. It I, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes you can have a tra- the most trustworthy person, but you still yeah, struggle with that, you know? Um, but also, so w- one of the things he recommended we do, and I know it's old school and everybody knows about it, is love languages. Yes. So I'm so glad I did. I learned that before I got married. I learned what David's love languages were and what mine were. But also, I like I said before, I wish I would have had the Enneagram. I think they go very hand in hand together. Like <laughs> I knew David's love languages. I'm not good at meeting them because they're the opposite of mine. <laughs> but but um, I tried to at least be somewhat cognizant of it. But if I would have had that and the Enneagram, um, because, you know, David's an eight. And so eights can seem like they have very rough edges. And and when they say and do things sometimes, um, it, it can come off um, 
oh, what's the nice way to put it? It can come off aggressive. And Mm -hmm. for a long time, I just was like, well, he's just being a jerk. And like none of those, most of the time when he does the things he does, it doesn't come from a place of jerkiness. It comes from that's who he is and he's authentic and he's real and he likes to push and get answers. And he's not, he's not doing it because he doesn't care about me or anybody else. That's just who he is. But for so long, I lived, lived our marriage like, well, he's just, he doesn't care about me. So he's being a jerk to me. So I wish I would have known about the Enneagram before then. I also, for myself, for my own development, I think in the past few years when I've learned more of who I am and how I express my emotions and don't express my emotions, like if I would have known about that earlier, that would have saved us some heartache. But on the other side of that, you know, the heartache has made us stronger. So yeah, I thought of one. Okay. Don't get a credit card. (laughs) I don't know. We have credit cards. (laughs) You know what I mean. There's a way no. to have responsible credit cards and there's a way to be like, woo! Well, and- yes, uh, that's a really, I mean, and I, you know, we'll talk about this when we talk to Sarah uh, about finance stuff, but yeah. I think, um, so the best things, to, so people ask us because now we're, we're becoming the older wise couple, right? Cause we've yeah, been yeah. married for 18 years. So people will ask me like, you know, what, what advice would you give? And David and I have multiple, um, things that we say. Um, but one of them is, take some kind of financial course. I don't care if it's Dave Ramsey. I don't care if it's Financial Peace University. Like what are, or is that, are they the same thing? That's Dave Ramsey. Yeah. There's somebody else. There's another one. Anyway. There's one you did. Yes. Why, don't, why am I going blank? On it's a crown. Crown. Thank you. Oh, yeah. And so I, you know, we got married really young. We had no money and all of those things. And we piled up some debt when we first got married and we did that. And I think that was one of the best things we ever did for our marriage was getting on the same page financially. Cause everybody comes into marriage with different views on finances because you come from different families of origin. So I think finances, getting your finances and you guys are kind of going through that right now, like yeah. learning how to like come together on your finances. Yeah. I, that was the biggest thing I say to, I would say to all um, couples getting married take a finance course together or read a book together or something. Um, and then the other one is any issue or questions I have for someone in David's family is his responsibility, not mine. So yeah. like he deals with his family and I deal with my family. I think because that is wonderful advice to every couple in the entire world. It is. And so I tell everybody who's getting married this or in their first few years of marriage is you deal with your family and he deals with his family because it all, oh, I have so many friends who have in so many issues where they, you know, she's having to deal with the mother-in-law or he's having to deal with the father-in-law with issues and it causes major tension. And so those would be my two pieces of advice I would ever, and I'm not saying that, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm the guru on marriage, but, and the other thing that saved our marriage was moving away from home. So I mean, seriously, David and I had been married three years when we moved to Atlanta and we will tell you it is the best thing we ever did. I'm not saying that you shouldn't stay close to your family. There's plenty of people who probably listen to this that live five minutes from their families. But for us, we had to separate like we just did. Um, we both lived super close to our families when the first couple years of marriage and it's, and it's been hard in some ways. Um, you know, I wish my kids were closer to their grandparents and all that kind of stuff, but I don't know how, how well it would have gone had we stayed in Texas. I think we could go back now. I think we could totally go back now and we'd be fine, but we needed that initial separation for sure. So yeah, just for us, because we're so young, you know, it's different when you get older, but when you get married at 21, David, David and I literally went from dorm rooms to being married. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you had to like get away from your family. We never, we never lived independently from our parents. I mean, outside of college dorms, 
before we got married, you know? And so like, we needed to like, learn how to be like adults. Um, If you learn how to be an adult before you get married, that's a different situation, I think. So yeah. Yeah. I think this is good. This is our primer. So um, yeah. Can't wait to talk to professionals. (laughs) Because <laughs> we're not professionals. <laughs> we're married, but we're not professionals. <laughs> we're not professionals, but we're yeah. talking to some. So get excited. We are going to be um, doing that. That will run through September. So yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, this was one of the top thing when we asked, when we did our little oh, poll on Instagram of our listeners of like, what, um, what would you like? Uh, what series would you like us to dig into? And like multiple people said marriage. So um, we are, you know, the customer always knows or what is the customer's always right or whatever (laughs) you guys have questions um on fidelity in marriage um the enneagram or mutual submission send them to us via instagram or email and we will uh we can ask them if you do it in the next like week or so so okay till next time okay bye bye so till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye. Bye.